0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about increasing winter survival in crops, and we'll talk specifically about winter wheat. Uh, we could definitely talk about alfalfa. They're they're just crops that, going into the fall, you think, okay, what can I do, if anything, to make sure that I'm successful that next spring. I've got a great stand out there and it's a little bit different than planting a spring crop where you know almost exactly what you're going to be up against that. Hey, we've got a few weeks here that it might be cold and it might be wet and and I got to get stuff up out of the ground. This is a little bit different with winter survival, a little bit more challenging. So we'll talk about that today. Also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and you can always email us radio at agphd.com. All right, we've been talking about this for a few days on the show about silage harvest, and hey, it finally got going last night on our farm, and it's kind of neat to see what the tonnage numbers come in at because that's going to give us an indication of what kind of yields that we're going to have out there too. So uh, really excited to see how that turns out and what kind of quality there there is in the silage this year. We had dry weather but we caught just enough rain to keep everything going and we got nothing to complain about right now. So as far as the silage crop goes, looks like it's going to be pretty decent. Uh, As soon as that silage comes off though, you think about it, instead of just harvesting the grain and dropping all that residue on the ground, almost all of that above ground portion of the plant disappears from the field and that leaves the soil exposed and I know we work with a number of farmers that are trying to seed some cover crop during the season or have something growing underneath their corn all the way through those types of things which from an erosion standpoint great from a yield standpoint a little questionable but I guess depends on what you're looking for I, I know one farmer that we were just talking with here a little over a week ago, he's got a great stand of a cover crop coming, and he said because he's grazing that, it adds so much value to his operation. I, I just thought, wow, that's that's fantastic. You figured out what works for you that's going to make you the most money. For us, what we like to do as soon as that silage comes off, we want to almost chase those cutters out, seeding a cover crop right back in and So that will be the, that'll be the next push. Hey, that field's done. Let's get in there and get our cover crop going. And we're typically doing something just a little bit different too. And we're, it's funny that I'm talking about this on a show where we're going to discuss winter survival of crops. We want the exact opposite with the cover crop we're putting on the silage ground. We're putting oats out there because we know it won't survive the winter and we won't have to burn it down. We've had two years of really overly dry weather And, you know, when you think about that, what our number one concern that we're worried about is soil erosion. And number two is, well, we don't want to take any more moisture out of the soil than we have to because we just don't have very much to begin with. So our thought is putting the oats out there. One of the benefits of it is it'll die off this winter and then we won't have to deal with trying to kill it in the spring. And that's another challenge for growers as we go north. I know just recently... Uh, We've been doing some meetings around the region and uh, talking to other farmers. Hey, what are you doing? And kind of comparing notes. A lot of guys are saying, hey, as you go further north, it's tough to kill off things in the spring, especially if they're thick and well-established. And so the guys that have done some of the different cover crops that live through the winter and are really thriving in the spring, I mean, there's some positives there, but the challenge is, wow, it's cold and it's hard to get any of those burned down herbicides to knock it out. So we're putting oats in. We'll get a great stand as long as we get just a little bit of moisture. So that will be really fun. Um, Other things that we're noticing out of the silage then as as we're kind of doing some evaluations, it's fun when you open up a field and all of a sudden you kind of see into the field a little bit better. And we're noticing where we've put fungicide on and, and we've really stayed after it with management, as you can imagine this year it's greener there's no question those plants are healthier and I'm not sure as as uh, we don't do the chopping ourselves uh, I'm not sure what we'll see for yield differences and checks Um, I know the guys that are doing the chopping are well basically have very similar to a yield map with with tonnage and some of the quality metrics so it'd be fun to see if that fungicide really paid off that way but You definitely can tell it in the plant health this year. That was a big deal. Even though we didn't have a huge disease year, we did have a huge stress year. And being able to tolerate that stress a little better is important. Uh, And then here's the other thing. Uh, Just with the first few fields that they've been able to cut, we've noticed some standability differences where planting populations got too high. Especially we saw more green snap, more lodging, those kinds of things. And it's one of those things, as you start getting into silage, or maybe maybe you're listening and you're saying, wait a minute, we've done silage for 30 years, we already know a lot of these things. You know, for for us, this is a different deal. We've never never had to do silage at this scale before, and so it's really fun to, to step up our game and try some different planting populations, see what we get for tonnage differences, not just yield differences, and then look at the stand rather than we've got to keep it standing and looking great until the corn is dry in the field. Now we don't have to keep it going quite that long. We're able to take the silage a month ahead of when we'd normally be harvesting the corn. So, all right, what are, what are some things we can tweak to, to take a few more chances maybe if there's a better possibility of earning money. So looking at different planting populations out there in the fields and, Um, And looking at the resulting tonnage, too, because we know as we push those populations too far, the stocks will eventually start shrinking up. So we still want, want to push that population as far as we can, but we want to have lots of girth to those stocks. And and great big ears as well. So lots of fun things here as, as harvest begins. In our case, it's silage harvest on the farm. But the beans are really turning fast too, so it won't be too long and it'll be soybean harvesting time. And then we're leaving yield check strips in, in these silage fields too. So it'll be fun. We plan to take those pretty wet just to make sure we don't have any issues when You harvest a whole field and leave just some strips out in the field. It's pretty easy for the wind to hit those plants that haven't experienced that kind of wind all year. So we want to get those out fairly soon too. All right, back to today's topic, increasing winter survival in crops. We'll get into that right after this.
1: Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Infurrow Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Infurrow innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or infurrow.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use.
2: When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies, and not a cloud insight.
1: Planting windows can close fast. So when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground.
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today where it is a climate controlled environment. We're talking about increasing winter survival and winter wheat and other crops where it's not a climate controlled environment. In fact, we know it's going to get awfully cold out there. There could be snow cover. There might not be. Now, there's, there's a lot of things that we just can't control a whole lot about, but We're going to talk about the things we can control on today's program and, and give you some ideas on what you can do to increase your success with winter survival. I will start off right now uh, with the University of Nebraska's Nathan Mueller. Nathan, how are you doing today?
3: Hey, uh, great. How are you?
0: You know, we're doing pretty well because, hey, it's still warm out there and everything's pretty good, but I know it's going to get cold and I know winter yep. survival is going to be a big concern. Uh, when, when you get these kinds of questions about what can I do to improve winter wheat survival, alfalfa survival, uh, and other crops going through the winter, where do you start?
3: yeah we actually recently had I hosted the alfalfa and wheat expo for southeast Nebraska just last week where we had about fifty growers and uh, we talked about winter wheat a little bit and you know on we had some w- um winter kill or desiccation last winter in the winter wheat due to lack of snow cover so it's something I did talk a little bit about um, first off is always variety selection that's always step one or the first decision growers make on on winter wheat so we want to make sure those varieties are adapted to the region and uh, the companies give ratings, and we've seen where I've seen, like in northeast Nebraska, we've had an issue with the same variety, with a variety with winter kill, and we did in southeast Nebraska, and that was one we definitely pushed further north out of Kansas than it probably should have been for for that grower, and so um, that's always step step Uh The next thing we talked about was planter depth or uh, seeding depth, and I really want growers to have that gra- uh, wheat seed in the ground inch and a half, um in, in eastern nebraska that that gives us enough of a buffer most of what i've seen in the past uh winter kill issues is just shallow planted wheat um and a lot of that has to do two things the ground was hard or they and a combination of of the planter, the drill setting for depth as well as, as the weight on the drill and so we can you and I can talk a little bit about some of those things, what growers could do. So,
0: Yeah, those are controllables. And I love that because that gives me a lot of hope that, okay, I just have to do my homework on variety selection. And we think about it with spring crops, you still have to do homework as well, but it changes mm-hmm. what your priority list is. Now, winter survival is number one. We I'll give you an example, Nathan. We've got a couple different alfalfa varieties out there. One, definitely tunned out better this year no question about it and my brother was talking about man maybe we should push it and take another cutting here uh, first part of September yeah. on that one and I said Brian remember the winter survival on that one's not as good as the one that didn't yeah. tun quite as much that's why we're spreading our risk out here and you probably see that on yield too where you got some high yielding varieties that just aren't going to work.
3: Yeah well we talked um, on alfalfa you know, of course, I actually just wrote a a news column that should be coming out next week in southeast Nebraska, just reminding growers of that kind of six-week fall resting period is what I call it for for wheat, for alfalfa, just to go through that phase of getting ready for that first hard freeze. And so that way it can go into winter with, with good survivability. And so that's something to think to think about is, is six weeks. So for us, it's down here six weeks before hard freeze is about September seventh, seventh, eighth, so about today, um, actually, where growers need to, to to quit cutting it. You can cut it again um, after those hard freezes, you got to be out there timely and right away. So generally for this area, we're talking end of October, well timed after a hard freeze. We can take take a late cutting without affecting that that survivability over the winter. I think a big problem for us, at least here, is we're currently in a drought, D1 rating drought, and uh, we've added stress to that alfalfa plant. So uh, probably the fall not to push it um, more than in the past. And so if if growers needed it because of hay and they're short on hay, we understand that. And So you definitely want to get a a healthy stand that's in maybe second or third year alfalfa, especially a good second year alfalfa stand, a little less risk of taking that during this six-week uh, fall resting period than, a, than an older stand or a brand new stand.
0: Good tips there on the alfalfa side. Okay, back to the winter wheat. So there's a lot of questions yeah. that, that we've had from growers around uh, plant health. What do you notice for differences? You mentioned the the drought situation and certainly that's going to trump almost everything else that we've got going on, but but there's disease issues, there's uh, mm-hmm. other things going on out there that that could be a healthier plant than others. Um uh, Yeah, where where do you draw that line?
3: Yeah, so we talked about variety. Um, We talked about uh, planting depth, both for for that. So obviously, picking a variety that's adapted to the region for the diseases we have. You know, there's two things that I really want growers to do if they can. Um, I always encourage growers to have a fungicide treated wheat seed on on winter wheat. We have some seed borne diseases stinking smut and some other ones that we want to make sure that we, we don't deal with and have so 100% of the time have fungicide on that, that winter wheat. Uh, next, if we can put in-furrow phosphorus uh, with that winter wheat, we know that helps with getting that plant started and healthy, and it also helps with winter survivability as well. So out of all the nutrients, if I had to pick one, that's the one to focus on. But I've been encouraging growers here because we do want high yields in our corn-soybean rotation to work that weed in. I really do like growers to have some chloride and sulfur on in the fall, uh, with that crop as well that some some work and some observations we've been seeing, you know, kind of in, in parts of Kansas and southeast Nebraska.
0: Ooh, good tips on the fertility. I like that. Uh, so here's the thing too, for anybody listening, soil test, soil test, see where you're at, see if your levels are up yeah. to snuff. And that's a great point that you're making here, Nathan, that man, we got to make sure we got available phosphorus there. And I think at least putting some relatively close to the seed sure helps. That 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 is definitely a big deal. Even when you've got a pretty decent level out for the field, am not talking like you had to put a huge amount, but at least some close by so you know the seed's going to get it.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, on phosphorus levels, I like to see, you know, 25, 30 part per million for winter wheat and alfalfa. Actually, they're higher phosphorus demand crops than our corn or soybeans are. Um, so those are the crops definitely not to skimp on, on phosphorus in the program. And then, you know, the other thing when we talk about survivability, <laughs> last winter, I don't know what you guys dealt with up there, but we have essentially were snow free um, almost the whole winter down here. And so that really did affect our survivability in some wheat fields. I walked with growers this past spring where we did give up and treated it as at a cover crop and went to corn. And some of that was, um, you know, one was, was planting depth. The other one was residue. Um, having a little bit of, of residue, planting no-till in the soybean stubble gives us a little bit of a buffer. Um, planting into corn, which, you know, gives us a little risk on fusarium head blight, but um, does catch more snow and snow cover. And we know that, man, uh, when we had some low temperatures down to negative 20, you know, three, four, two, three, four inches of snow makes a huge difference. So if we can plant into environment into a, a field where we can also catch a little bit more snow with our residue that we have from the past crop, that definitely can help us in in some years where we don't have this have uh, definitely when we have those cold temperatures to add snow to the list of things on our side.
0: All right. Now, as far as catching snow, one of the strategies that the guys up here will do is try to plant just a little bit early and and even, you know, maybe not your whole crop, but at least planting some of the crop a little bit earlier, hoping to get a little bit more growth out there. Do you see that being a good, good strategy for winter survival?
3: Yeah, so if we can get the you know that plant tillered a little bit in the fall, going into winter, that's going to help with our our survivability. And then the plant, like you said, itself can catch a little bit. So you know, just for yield potential too. Um, at least in southeast Nebraska, we're we're chasing um, soybeans, and soybeans generally come out October first, and our target planting date here for southeast Nebraska ranges from about October fifth to October fifteenth. With I want all of that wheat crop in. It doesn't give guys a lot of time. Uh, that We need to be planting wheat as soon as those bean fields come out and prioritize those fields where wheat's going to go with either, you know, thinking ahead with early maturing varieties or earlier planting dates or, or even if we need to uh, desiccants or whatever we can to get that wheat in. We know that we're leaving yield behind when we get to usually the second half of October down here.
0: It looks like we might have a shot this year to get started on soybean harvest. Yeah, unfortunately with earlier. the
3: drought, uh, yeah, with the drought, I think uh, uh, I was out and about today looking for tar spot and corn. Uh, with uh, the pathologist and uh, good, bad, or otherwise, corn harvest is, is going on already now. Uh, 18, 20% moisture, dry land corn because of the wow. drought. So. Wow.
0: Well, we don't we don't like the sound of that, but one thing that's positive about it, it gives us a little more time to set ourselves up for success with this winter wheat crop, and that's one of the big reasons we wanted to have Nathan Mueller on. Nathan, thank you so much for what you do. We really appreciate it and, and uh, we'll direct people to uh, your newsletters as well to catch more of this information you're talking about. Yep. Thank you very much. Talking about winter survival in crops on today's show. Got a great start there with Nathan. We got another great guest coming up right after this. Stay tuned.
1: In a world of Veltima fungicide.
4: Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide.
1: Okay, Veltima fungicide.
4: No, that's literally the same.
1: Veltima fungicide.
4: Still doing it.
1: Veltima fungicide does it.
4: Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure.
1: Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer.
4: Always read and follow label directions.
1: What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate, and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And if you said, hey, our your first guest was great, and he was, Nathan Mueller with University of Nebraska was fantastic. But you may be saying, wait a second, we farm a little bit further north. Can you talk to somebody a little further north? Sure we can. We've got Dennis Pennington up at Michigan State University. Dennis, how are you doing today? Great. How are you doing, Darren? Well, pretty. Good. It's it's so easy to farm down in Nebraska. Michigan's a lot more challenging, right? So when you think winter survival, you know you're going to have winter.
5: Yes, we sure do get some winter. But uh, well,
0: yeah, one thing I was thinking, Dennis, and I wonder about this: Do you get a lot of lake effect snows that help you with more snow cover than than some of your neighbors further south?
5: Yeah, so we do get some lake effect snow that does help us with snow cover, and that acts as an insulating blanket. But, uh, boy, it seems like with the weather these days, that's becoming more and more variable and, and whatnot. And then just temperature swings throughout the winter are more and more variable. So, you know, timing that snow cover when, you know, the temperatures get cold, that that's the important part for protecting the wheat.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And I, I know I had a very disappointed teenager who thought he was going to make a bunch of money uh, cleaning people's driveways from snow last winter. And I think he got out two or maybe three times the whole winter. That was yeah. not good news for anybody with winter weed out there. So what, what yeah, can we right. do if we can't control that end of things? And, and you're right. We do get some warm ups that melt some things off and, and uh, yeah. all of a sudden it turns really cold again. Uh, what are some of the things you are seeing being helping guys be successful?
5: Yeah, so one of the things that's important is to kind of have a basic understanding of what the hardening process is. And it's basically when the crown temperature falls below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, that's a process that starts. It takes four to six weeks and it's fairly well understood in the science. But uh, to put it in layman's term, basically the plant produces like a antifreeze type component and it basically protects the cell membranes from freezing. And as the temperature gets colder and colder, um, the level of that antifreeze is higher in concentration. Now, this requires energy reserves in order to produce that. So, the key thing is to get a plant going into the winter time that is, you know, has enough development and growth on it to have enough energy reserves to produce that um, antifreeze throughout the winter. So, producing that plant early in the season is pretty important.
0: You know, when you think about that, it, it brings to mind planting date, but I'm sure there's a lot more to it than this. But sure. when, you, when you look at those planting dates, uh, uh, how much how much cushion have you got? Because I've certainly heard plenty of farmers, oh, you know what? I got in really late and it turned out fine. But uh, more times yeah. than not, the guys that are planting early are pretty happy. Yeah,
5: yeah. And I hear those stories every year, too, about the guy who planted really late and still had a good yield and that kind of thing. But you know, ideally you want to have a plant that has five to six leaves and probably two to three tillers in the fall, um, you know, to have a a big enough plant that has enough energy reserves to carry it through the winter. So that planting date becomes pretty important. It depends on, you know, your latitude, how far north, when that date really is. Um, But you want to try to get planted, you know, early enough where you can get that um, crop developed to that stage. So for us here in Michigan, you know, Our ideal planting window is probably around that September 25th to the 1st of October range, Um, and, and so anything that they can do on their farm to allow that to happen, and that might mean managing their soybean crop or dry bean crop prior to this so that they can get it harvested on time, that is probably the most important thing that they can do.
0: Yeah, manpower on a lot of farms does not allow all these jobs to happen at once. So like you say, planning way in yeah. advance of, of what you can do to to get things just right, that's a big deal.
5: Yeah, planning depth is also important and, you know, we have some growers here that they'll tend to shallow up their planning depth as they get later in the season because, you know, it, the, the later you get in the season, the soil temperatures cool off, it takes longer for emergence to occur and so you have less time for that plant to grow and develop. So I'm like, well, I'll plant shallower so I can get the crop up a little bit quicker. Um, and it does. It, it emerges quicker. But what happens is, is you get not as good of root development. And particularly, we have some soil types that really heave um, through frost thawing and, and freeze cycles in the spring. Um, and that can really do even more damage just through the, the frost heaving. Um, so planting depth is something, you know, we want to, even if you're planting late, still keep it deep enough so that you got, you know, adequate rooting. But then other things like planting high quality seed uh, with seed treatment, that's also important. Um, make sure it's um, disease free and, and make sure your fertility programs are, are up to speed. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that farmers can do, you know, in the fall to manage their crop to, you know, try to make sure that they get o- good overwinter survival.
0: You mentioned that planting depth and we just had Nathan Mueller on with University of Nebraska. He was talking about an inch and a half. Is that your target goal with that? And then uh, we should probably talk population just a little bit too.
5: Yeah, so we've been doing uh, planting depth studies where we've been planting at half inch, one and a half, two and a half and three inch depth. And we've been measuring tiller development as well as yield and then overwinter survivability. And we're getting the best at that one and a half inch depth. Um, So, yeah, I would concur with what Nathan says. But in terms of populations, uh, we've been studying those over the last uh, four years here. And typically we say, you know, you start at at a given population. It depends on your latitude, north and south, what that should be. And then the later in the season you go, that number should go up. Um, to compensate because for lack of tillering in terms of maintaining yield potential. However, what we're finding is that uh, we are probably planting populations quite a bit higher than what we need to. And when we look at what our friends in Europe are doing, they're planting sometimes a third of the population that we are or half And when it gets late in the season. Um, so what we're finding in our studies is that we can bring our populations down uh, we're, we're, we're starting as low as uh, 1 million seeds per acre. We have some guys going down at 800,000 seeds per acre. Um, but I think getting up to 1.6 to maybe 1.8 when you're planting really late is probably top end and you don't need to go higher than that.
0: Yeah, that population thing is really interesting as you travel around the world and just see how other guys are managing tillers, how they're utilizing um, hormones and different things to try to to control where those tillers are at and and even the timing of right. the fertility uh we were we were talking about how important phosphorus is for for getting stuff out of the, for getting wheat out of the ground but what do you think about the nitrogen side of things do do guys do a lot of fall in? do they like to save some of that for spring uh how do they like to to handle that part of the fertility program we-
5: yeah, so, yeah, so we're, you're right. Um, phosphorus is very important um, in getting the crop up and established. Um, and in terms of nitrogen, though, um, if you're less than 7 ppm on a soil nitrate test in the fall, you'll probably get a response from application of nitrogen. Um, but if you're above that, you're probably not going to see, at least in our studies, it hasn't shown a yield benefit um, to it in the fall. Yeah, it might look a little bit greener. Um, in the fall, but it, that doesn't translate into yield. So um, only if you're below that 7 ppm on a nitrate test do we really see much benefit from, uh, from a fall nitrogen application. And on the phosphorus, uh, there's more benefit to the phosphorus when you're planting early than when you're planting late. Because uh, we had a study on that, and we thought, well, you know, if we're planting late, boy, it's even more critical to get that phosphorus out there and the late planting just didn't develop enough of a plant to really absorb enough phosphorus to really make a difference. so um, okay. that does make you know, sense that,
0: though. if you've got more of a writ system, you get more time, especially depending on the yeah. form of phosphorus that that more time huh. and bigger plant would would take more advantage of that. so i I can see that one, yep, yep, yep. You know, sulfur is one we get questions on, and and certainly we we uh, have a lot of. Uh, there's just so many fertility topics when you open up that bag. We, sure. we could be on the yeah. whole show, but yeah. uh, we do <laughs> right. we, we do really appreciate the tips. Uh, you know, high quality seed, uh, getting that planting depth right at an inch and a half, and, and getting out there on time in that ideal window. I really like that last week of September. Uh, some guys will say the first week of October works well for them. W- whatever it is, depending on the year, just getting out there as early as you can to, to yeah. try and get that plant yeah, established. Sure. Yep. Well, we've yep. been talking with Dennis Pennington here with Michigan State. Dennis, thank you so much. You had great stuff today. Really appreciate having you on.
5: All right. Sounds good. Thank you.
0: You bet. We're talking about winter survival on today's program in winter wheat and other crops. If you've got questions, though, we'd certainly take those at 844 844- 44 ag phd or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. we'll be right back after this
4: when i step on someone's farm i feel like i've already walked a mile in their shoes i spend spring on the tractor and fall in the combine I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work
0: at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game.
4: If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say, we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say, learn more at agbiome.com.
1: Get maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop Mfg. Plus, with 10% off while supplies last, you can fully upgrade your planter for less. Just go to farmshopmfg.com.
0: welcome back you're listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio today and talking about increasing winter survival in winter wheat in alfalfa and other crops and just wanted to recap a few thoughts here uh, we'll also keep our phone lines open at 844- 44 Ag PhD and our email box is always open radio at agphd.com uh, All right first of all variety selection and this is something where you got to do your homework with whatever crop you're planning So I mentioned some alfalfa varieties that we're, we've got on our farm We got a couple different ones or one is a little higher yielding it's got fast regrowth uh, and it turned out to be the best one for us this summer. Uh, it, it, was, it was really fantastic, and it, it out-tunned the other variety by quite a ways. But the weakness is its winter survival is not quite as good. So we've got some nice regrowth on it. We're not taking enough, another cutting. And I, I thought um, uh, Dennis Pennington had had a comment about um, the resting period for alfalfa. Actually, I think it was Nathan Mueller from Nebraska. Uh, That's six weeks of fall resting period for the alfalfa before a hard freeze is a really good idea. Now this was first year alfalfa and I thought you may made another comment too that you know you could cut it right after a hard freeze without really affecting winter survival if you need the hay and you know thinking about that what's going to happen to a lot of that above ground alfalfa plant while well, it's going to wither away over the winter. Why not go grab it? Well, the one uh, possibility here that that uh, he didn't mention is, you know, if you've got a first-year stand, and that would apply to our farm, it's a first-year stand. If it's a second- or third-year stand, hey, it's pretty well-established, and you could do a lot more stuff on it. So you do have to be realistic, and then I know he did mention, hey, we're in a pretty tough drought. I don't think guys are going to be doing that unless they're absolutely desperate for the feed. So good, good things to think about there, too. So variety selection important and spread your risk. We talk about it a lot in corn and soybeans, but it's true with anything that you do. Spread your risk out there. Let's just say you had five fields of winter wheat and you put them all into the same variety, and then you find out, oh no, that variety has the same weakness on all five of my fields, and it hit this year. Well, that's a bad deal. But if you had Three or four or five varieties out there, chances are, it, even if that hit, it's just going to get you on one field, not, not the whole farm. So spreading your risk is really important too. And then I, I thought it was interesting, both of our guests went right to seeding depth, and, and I know Nathan had made the comment that most of the guys that are having issues with winter survival, they seeded too shallow. So definitely watch this. I know in other crops that we look at, uh, like in, in spring crops like corn, we have a lot of standability issues. We, we have yield issues when we plant too shallow. The same is actually true in wheat. If we if we plant too shallow, we, we're just going to have issues with survivability, we're going to have issues with wind, uh, if you lose any soil at all around those seeds. I had a picture sent to me this year with somebody where they'd seeded really shallow, they had some rain, it washed away that fluffy soil, and they had exposed roots, which uh, obviously is not a good thing. So seeding depth is going to be a big thing too. And then from a crop protection standpoint, I do worry about diseases. I worry about insects. I want to make sure I've got a healthy plant, a healthy crown, uh, and starting with a seed treatment that's that's got a complete fungicide package, multiple modes of action. That's a big deal, and then. You got to be real on some of these insects too. So, neonic's are fine. The poncho, gaucho, cruiser type products, they're fine for repelling wireworms. But if you've got a real wireworm problem, taraxa is really good, and that's something we would recommend using. So, definitely talk to whoever's treating your seed or whoever's providing you the the seed treatments. Uh, talk to them about taraxa if wireworms are a big issue, because. Now That that definitely was a, a step up in control. And then we did get into fertility a little bit, which uh, I mentioned this before. If we start talking fertility, we're going to be having a whole show on winter wheat fertility. But uh, getting some available fertility out there is fine and uh, making sure that you take some soil samples. And this is probably where we see a lot of winter wheat farmers fall short is, well, I've got a lot of acres and it's a tight time window here to get everything done. I get it. Uh, you can pull samples before you take that previous crop off if you need to. It's not always the most fun, but you got to do something to try to get ahead of this. Or or maybe you're saying, okay, I can't get those soil samples done at that point. I'm going to do them uh, ahead of the, the crop that's gonna be ahead of my winter wheat. So a year and a half in advance or something like that. You definitely can do those things too and then just subtract off what what crop removal is compared to what you put on. But uh, you gotta watch those things close. If you're short in fertility, it's going to stress the crop. And then when we talk about dry situations, like I know Nathan was really concerned about the drought they've got in Nebraska and it's a it's a real thing. If they don't have, if you don't have irrigation in Nebraska this year, stuff does not look good. And if you've got a dry situation, if you're short of even one nutrient, that crop is going to pull more water out than it really needs trying to get the food. So you've got to have good fertility right around that seed to minimize water usage and that's going to help you with winter survival too. So lots of things that we can control. What we can't control, snow cover, temperature swings, ice storms, those kinds of things. Yeah, we don't have the power to control those. But if we do all those other things right, the impacts of some of those things will definitely be buffered. All right, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, got a uh, got a question or a comment here that came in from Doug, and he said, uh, "Guys, I I had some enlist beans that got cupped and." Uh, it was across the whole field, so it didn't look like it came from one end or the other like or anything like that. And we didn't fully canopy. And that's that was a challenge to keep the weeds out of the field. How do we manage this going forward to, to try and do the best we can? You know, I, I'd say a few things here, Doug, and, and we, we have talked about this quite a bit throughout the summer. The amount of dicamba it takes to cup leaves on a soybean plant is 120,000th of a normal rate. That's data from Iowa State University. 120,000th of a rate. But the amount to hurt yield is really unknown. In areas that have plentiful moisture, it seems like the yield impacts have been minimal at best. Uh, in some cases, growers have said, you know what? It actually caused a little more branching on my plants and I had more yield. Uh, I, I know that's one that can be debated, and there's certainly extremes on either end of that. So I'm not minimizing anybody that did have a, a significant loss by that. But the cupping itself is not the worst thing in the world. We just have to understand, okay, if I'm going to be the one guy planting in list, and I've got neighbors around me using dicamba or planting extend flex beans or using dicamba and corn, those types of things, how can I manage it? narrow rows really helped this year for for growers that said, man, I, I just didn't get my rows to close because they got dinged by that dicamba. The one positive was, well, I didn't have disease problems out there, but that's a, <laughs> I don't know. I still want my rows to close because otherwise I know I'm going to have weed escapes and I don't want weed escapes out there so narrow rows that's a good way to to do it also the other thing that we saw in narrow rows is that the dicamba didn't move down through the canopy if you had wide open rows it it could actually hit that plant from top to bottom and so the fields that were closed off it mainly hit the top couple of nodes and that was about it so that would be something that you could do to, to play defense The other thing is planting date. If you're planting later, which I don't advise because I think your opportunity for high yield is less. If you're planting later, we saw a little less impact for the guys that planted the earliest. They hit flowering the earliest and we saw more damage. Especially if dicamba comes in after flowering, that's where you have the most potential for it to hurt yield. So uh, obviously you want to work with your neighbors. You, you want to get guys to understand, Hey, you know what? Some of those things that you're doing, uh, like applying dicamba late in corn, it's impacting me. And many neighbors are going to s- say, you know what? I don't want that to happen again. I'm going to change what I'm doing, but sometimes they're not. They say, yeah, I have to do it this way for weed control and I'm not doing anything off label. So it's a challenge, Doug, no doubt about that. And I, I do not have all the answers. But thanks for, uh, for sending the pictures. Thanks for the question uh, comments as well. We'll get back into the Ag PhD mailbag right after this.
4: When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane AG, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today.
0: Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com.
1: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro,
5: the 9915 Series Diaphragm Pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target.
4: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide, available for fall.
2: When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to AgPHD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD Mailbag, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 ag or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right. I uh, get this one in from James. He said, guys, I've learned a lot from you, but I do have a question about glyphosate. I uh, just wonder what you guys think of this product. I have weeds that are tough to get rid of. Well, hey, James, um, obviously Roundup or glyphosate is the most widely used pesticide that we know of. And many would say it's the greatest herbicide ever invented because it's killed more weeds than anything else. It's been out for for a couple of generations. Uh, so I do like that product. I think it's very useful. Obviously, with any product, you have to use it wisely, uh, but it's been, been pretty useful. There are a number of weeds now that have developed resistance to glyphosate. So as long as the weeds that you're trying to get rid of uh, aren't in that category, I think glyphosate or Roundup is a fantastic solution. The thing I like about it is we can spray it. Uh, you can generally seed seed. Most any crop right away afterwards, it doesn't have uh, a bunch of soil activity. And yeah, it's been a, been a nice herbicide. So anyway, James, I, I like it. It's probably a good one. If you have specific weeds that you want to ask us questions on, uh, let us know. Thanks. I uh, got this one from Brendan. He said, guys, you were talking about nutrient stratification. And saying that was one of the reasons that guys were moldboard plowing to to flip things around and, and mix things up. Uh, we've done some other types of tillage rather than the moldboard that have less of the downsides that the moldboard's got. Hey, I, I get it, Brennan. We, we weren't suggesting the moldboard plow is the, the greatest thing ever. Um, in fact, in our part of the world, there are a lot of moldboard plows that sit out in the trees or have been uh, either sold or hauled to the... to the metal recycling place so yeah there's a lot of guys here that have gone to reduce tillage and found other ways to do things too but you know when we do reduce tillage nutrient stratification especially with non-mobile nutrients in the soil like phosphorus and zinc and others is is a concern for growers so placing those nutrients deep is is one way to do it uh, without having to do full-scale tillage thanks for the comment though and thanks for for checking out our show we really appreciate that I got this one in. a question on uh, nitrogen fertilizer. Do you guys have to till in the fertilizer or could you put the nitrogen on top of the ground? Just wondering what other things, um, you would suggest in this We're we're planting corn. Hey, thanks for the question. Thanks for, for checking out our show too. We, we do appreciate that. Um, Okay, so we were officially talking about phosphorus in the segment that you're commenting on. And with phosphorus, that's non-mobile in the soil. So we do like to either till that in or inject it below the soil somehow. With nitrogen, that one is mobile in the soil. um, And so that's fine if you wanted to put that on top as long as you had moisture to get it into the ground within a relatively short time. So that's the real question Uh, will you have rainfall on a regular basis? If you said, no, we get rain every week, no problem. Well, that's fine. Then you can put nitrogen on top and soak it right down into the ground. So uh, it just depends on how you want to farm. And when it comes to what a cornfield needs, I'd just suggest downloading the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. You can type in what your yield goal is for corn and see exactly what you need for all all of the nutrients. Hey, thanks for the question, though, and, and thanks for checking out our show. We really appreciate that. I got this one from Sean. Sean said, uh, in my pasture, milkweed is a problem. It's reducing the amount of grass grown and uh, it's an eyesore as well. But uh, what can I do to get rid of the milkweed so I can get more grass for my livestock? All right, Sean, if milkweed is an issue, the challenge with it is it's a perennial. If you try and pull the weeds, and, and this is what Uh, Janelle and Brian and I got to do when we were kids. We get to pull milkweeds out in fields. What a waste of time. You pull a milkweed, the root breaks off, and then it just sends up another shoot. So you've got to have something that's going to get down into that perennial weeds root system. I know um, you could use something like Distinct that does a pretty decent job on milkweed. Uh, But you also could use something that has Milestone or Tordon in it to try to get down into that root system a little bit better. Um, Depends on what other weeds you've got out there, but those would be my three choices. Either something with Distinct, Milestone, or Tordon to try to get down into the root system of that milkweed and take it out for good. Chances are you're going to have to spray it at least for two or three years uh, to, to really get rid of it out in your pasture. Hey, thanks for the question, Sean, and good luck to you. And I, I'm with you. You, you definitely want the most grass out there. Pasture acres are, are not on the rise. That's for sure. We're seeing uh, a lot of that ground getting eaten up by cities, and uh, to some degree, getting eaten up by farmers. But farmers. Uh, are losing acres to the cities as well. Urban sprawl is is no fun, and it leads to less acres for us to graze on, so we got to do the best we can. There's a lot of different tips we'd have for raising more grass. Uh, I would say a couple things, too, that you can do from a cultural standpoint is rotational grazing. That allows you to let the grass regrow, and it gives the grass more time to recover. And when I say rotational grazing, if you're not familiar with that term, let's just say that you had a 40-acre pasture, maybe you section it off into four 10-acre pastures and then rotate the cattle through, let them graze down 10 acres, then you move them to the next 10 acres after a few days and so forth and just keep moving them and then giving that grass time to recover. And then fertility is a big thing too. We're starting to see more and more farmers and ranchers that have pastures doing the same fertility practices they're doing there as out in their row crop fields. Soil sampling, on a grid or zone basis and doing variable rate fertility out there. If you've got better fertility in your pasture, you're going to have more nutritious hay for your animals to graze on. You're also going to have better regrowth and you're going to choke out weeds. So that could, those are other things that could be done to help you um, keep that milkweed and, and keep other weeds out of your pasture. Alright, got a question from Bruce here down in central Nebraska. He said, guys, I'm a corn and soybean farmer and I'm going to use your recommendations for the three prees in soybeans to try to keep pigweed and other weeds out. I'm wondering, what is the purpose of using the yellow? Uh, specifically, I would be using prowl. Alright, thanks Bruce. We really appreciate the question. So, um, the good thing about getting a little bit older is we can look back and see what's been done over the last 10 20 30 40 years or more and prowl is one of those products that's been long been around for a long time so we've got a lot of experience with that one it's great uh, if you're in a reduced till situation or a no till situation also works good if you just want to lightly incorporate it you don't want to get it too deep it it's going to take care of grasses very well on your farm even some of the problem grasses but the other thing that's kind of nice about Prowl is it's going to take care of some of the small seeded broadleaf, So it does add control to pigweed. Now, there are other products that could be used that would do similar things. For example, Group 15s. Things like Metolachlor or Dual or Zidua or um, Warrant or Acetochlor, some of those things. They're good products too. But you can use those Group 15s post-emerge. You can't use prowl or trifluralin would be the other yellow. You can't use those post-emerge. So it's a whole different mode of action that we aren't using in corn at all. And we can use it in soybeans only pre-emerge. So we like to include that in our three pre-strategy. Not only do we see much better grass control versus anything else that we've got out there, we're also seeing really good small-seeded broadleaf control, and it gives us just a different swing at weeds like pigweed that have developed resistance. So that that's a big deal. So anyway, I like it. I'm glad you're going to try it, and uh, let us know how it works for you, Bruce. Thanks. All right, I this one from Lee. He said, uh, I was watching a show about soil testing. I loved that you included the clip of two 12-year-olds trying to use the soil probe. This was more realistic than large adults pushing the probe into the soil so easily. Uh, although I am an adult... I'm probably the size of an ordinary 12-year-old. Well, I'm down in southeast Kansas. we got high clay content. The soil can either be mud or it can be a brick. Uh, and, and getting the probe in the ground is tough. So appreciated that clip. Also wanted to let you know we really enjoy your Weed of the Week segments, even though some of those weeds don't grow here. According to my mother, her mother would always say, everything is good to know. This is a good attitude for a farmer as well. Hey, Lee, thank you so much. We really appreciate those comments. And yeah, it's kind of fun when we get to show some of our kids doing some things, even though that that clip was a few years old now. Uh, it's kind of neat to <laughs> to see how they looked out there. They really enjoyed it, too. That's one of the strange things about my kids. They have loved soil sampling. And I thought, man, this is, this is a, a tough job, and it requires a lot of time and whatnot. They just like it because, hey, we can drive a four-wheeler or a side-by-side or something out in the field, maybe even dad's pickup, and we can go pull some soil samples. It's It's actually pretty fun. Well, thanks for the question and comments there, Lee. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.